My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Welcome to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. For well over a year now, our pastor has been teaching the messages that Jesus Christ himself preached. Today we come to the message that Jesus gave his disciples after his resurrection and just moments before his ascension into heaven. This message is commonly called the Great Commission, and it outlines God's plan for his church on earth and for each individual Christian as well. What should the church be doing on earth today? Pastor Jones will examine Christ's answer to that question. As I've been going through this series on the messages of Christ, this is the one message that I keep overlooking. And I really, you'd think you'd not overlook this one. This is dealing with the Christ's marching orders for the church. Now, I will tell you that it is a short message. It's only uh, three verses. Matthew chapter... Now, by the way, don't think that means I'm going to preach a short time. <laughs> you know, I just noticed the ones that have been here longest, they didn't laugh as much. No, just kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. Matthew chapter 28. And... Uh, it's commonly called the Great Commission. <clears throat> I've entitled it the Christ Marching Orders for His Church because one of my points is the Great Commission, so I didn't want to have the title. It's the same thing as one of my points, but be that as it may, uh, this is the, the resurrection of Christ has taken place. He's already paid for our sins on the cross. And um, this is Matthew's account of, of what Jesus said. You can find it elsewhere uh, in Luke chapter 24. You can find it in Mark chapter 16 and in Acts chapter 1. And you get a different version, well, of a, kind of a different situation in the Gospel of John chapter 20. But um, the, the Great Commission is Jesus telling us what he wants us to do as we move forward. With, without his physical presence on earth, what are we supposed to do until he comes back for us? And you know, um, we do need to be aware that since the command to take the gospel to the world, and that's what the Great Commission is, it's a command to take the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and the fact that man can be saved from his sin, that we are commanded to take to the world. But it's so important that Satan will do his dead-level best to keep us from obeying this command. And so I'd like you to notice, we'll just go ahead and read what Jesus has to say here. It's Matthew chapter 28. And verses 18 to 20, the last three verses of the book, says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world, Amen. And let's pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Oh, Lord, help us. Lord, help me to be able to express it clearly so people can understand exactly what you're saying. Lord, I believe that you have already put this in the heart of every true uh, follower of Jesus Christ. That we went by the, by the just the... the Reality of understanding salvation and accepting it, understand the, the compulsion, not only from our Savior, but from the Holy Spirit within us 
to bear witness of our Lord wherever we go. And I pray for those that know Thee, that You might stir us again to this simple truth that, that again, many of us have heard over and over again. And I also pray for those who may not know You yet, and they're actually in the category of those that we're to go to. And so I pray that You'll accomplish everything that You want in this time, and we just rejoice at this opportunity, Father, the privilege of it, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'd like to break these three verses down into, um, and they're not broken by, like, each verse, um, uh, it doesn't go like 18 and ni- then 19 and 20. It goes actually 18, then 19 and the first part of verse 20, and then uh, the last part of verse 20. That's how we're going to break it down. But three simple thoughts. The first one is what I'll call the great provision, and that's in verse 18. Where Jesus starts out and he has the word, he says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. Now, does some of you have a different word than power there? Authority. And that is a good rent. See, the word power depends on, on your, your Greek word. And, and actually, this word for, for power means authority. You know how, like, um, um, Jesus said to Pilate, you would have no power over me except it were given to you of God? Well, that word power there meant authority. And so uh, we could say the most powerful person on the earth is the President of the United States, whether that probably is true. And, um, all right, that, that, that means his authority. It doesn't mean his strength. So when Jesus is using this word, he is saying, I have all authority. It's been given unto me in two places, unless we need to consider them both. Where's the first place? It's in heaven. And where's the second place? On earth. All right, now, Christ's authority then extends over all spiritual realms. All authority in heaven. Now, um, can you think of some spiritual realms that Jesus says right here, I have authority over them? Joe, what do you think? Heaven and hell. Very good. How about the beings that occupy those different angels and demonic spirits? That's exactly right. So he's saying that he has all authority over all the angelic host. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 14 tells us that angels are ministering spirits and they're sent to minister unto those that are heirs of eternal life. The Lord Jesus is saying, I have all authority over them. But I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 1, that passage, verses 15 to verse 23. Ephesians is toward the back of your Bible from where we're at. And I would say it's about in the, about halfway back in, from where you're at to the end. Ephesians chapter 6, maybe, maybe a little more than that. Uh, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 1, my fault. Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to look start with verse 15. This is actually a long extended prayer of the Apostle Paul. Wherefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. <coughs> Excuse me, and you'll notice now he's going to start his prayer. What's Paul praying for the Ephesians church and, of course, 
This is being passed down to even us today. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul is saying, I want, God, I want you to understand what God is like. I want you to understand what's going on spiritually. Verse 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, And what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, the hope of his calling, I think we're talking about salvation there. But the second part, the glory of his inheritance, he's actually talking about God's looking at us as his inheritance because of the cross and God glorying in us. That's amazing to me. That God would say, I treasure you. He does. Paul says, I wish you'd understand that. Verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly. And you'll notice, if you have a King James like I do in front of me, the word places is in italics. Do you see that? That means it's inserted to help you understand it. But the idea, literally, it's in the heavenlies, in the heavenly realms. What he's saying is that Jesus now is in the heavenly realms. And you'll notice that he is uh, he's at the Father's right hand. Keep going. Verse 21. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also that which is to come. He, he is saying Christ is over all the heavenly realms. Exactly what Jesus was saying in Matthew 28 when he says, All authority is given unto me in heaven. Verse 22. And put all things under his feet, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Which means this, we often can come into tremendous spiritual battles that we're not even aware of. And can I tell you this? Jesus reigns over all of it. There's not a demonic spirit out there. There's not an evil plan that Satan has that Christ cannot help you to overcome and accomplish what he wants you to accomplish in it. doesn't mean that you won't, be, won't go through suffering. It doesn't mean we got Becky Pelletier right now. We're praying for her. She's going through some very difficult waters. And we don't know how it's going to turn out. But I will tell you this. God has a purpose in what he's allowing in her life and in, in, in her family's lives because of this situation. We see that the angels themselves are subject unto Jesus. We also see... That uh, we ourselves are, are actually blessed in the spiritual realm because of what Christ has done for us. You remember that he, he's, he looks at us as his inheritance. Skip down to chapter 2. And I want you to notice, I'm going to re- start reading at verse uh, 4 and, and go down to verse 6. Talking about salvation. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. And that's again right back to what we saw in chapter 1. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together. That word quickened is Old English for made, didn't mean make you faster, okay? It means make you alive. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in, there it is again, heavenly places. That's the heavenlies or the heavenly realms. In Christ Jesus. That means this, because of what Christ has done. Not only has he 
uh, uh, is he now in rulership and, 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 and will uh, control the, the uh, angelic forces to help us in the, in the proclamation of the gospel? But he has given us now access to him. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. And it is a present reality. Which means when you go to prayer, how do we access this authority? I believe when we access Christ's authority through prayer in Jesus' name. And Christian people have seen God do miraculous things as a result of simply praying and trusting God Praying in Jesus' name, his authority. Christ's authority doesn't just extend in the heavenly realms over angels and even now ourselves, we participate in that, but over demonic spirits as well. I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. You're in Ephesians 1, so just go a couple pages. Chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 10. Because the spiritual battle is real. And so when we talk about the gospel going out and God calling us to go out and to share the gospel with the world, it is not an, uh, just an easy task as, you know, throw a postcard in somebody's mailbox. Okay? It is not merely a numbers game where it's, well, if I contact ten people, you know, one of them is going to be interested in the Savior. That's not how it works. There's a spiritual battle for the souls of men and women. And it's very real. And so I think sometimes we skip over verse 18 and we don't realize we need God's help always when it comes to being a witness for Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, notice if you would verse 10. Writing to this same group of people, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what the word wiles means? Trickery, strategies. Yes. His, and, and he's good at it. He knows exactly what will distract me or hinder me. He knows exactly what will distract you and hinder you. He knows your weak areas. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Have you ever wondered how um, we as humans, and I'm not just talking about everybody, I'm talking about we as humans, how we can be so blinded to our sin, to the effects of our sin, to what we ought to do. It's not just everybody else. It's us in this room as well. And I'm just telling you, so much of that is a, is a spiritual blindness that comes either as a result of our own deceitful hearts and our wickedness and, and, and unwillingness to face the truth in ourselves. And it also is aided and abetted by Satan's, um, these demonic spirits. And so it's not just merely giving people enough logic to come to Christ. It's not. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And those authorities, those wicked authorities, are in high places. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. He's saying it can get so difficult that it'll take everything in you to just to stand for right and to be a testimony for God and to hold on to your faith. Verse 14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Hang on to truth. 
Don't forsake that. It's like the belt around your waist. He's describing now a Roman soldier kind of taking some of his armor now. And having on the blessed breastplate of righteousness, living for what is right. It's, it's, like, it's like the protection on your vital organs, doing what you know to be right. The verses that Mark read this morning, there's two of them in that passage that say almost exactly the same thing. And that is this, the integrity of the upright will guide them. And that is this, your commitment to living and speaking the truth will be a, will be a guide to get you back on track. And if you don't, if you're not committed to living and speaking the truth, you can wander and go and go who knows where. Belt of 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 truth, breastplate of righteousness, fact that I will be uh, have live by and 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 stick with integrity and God's righteousness obviously comes to salvation. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, just as important as the shoes would be to the soldier. The Apostle Paul is saying, going forth with the gospel is like the the shoes of the soldier. You've got to go somewhere with the gospel. Your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith. And don't throw those two words away. Above all, you've got to hang on to the shield of faith. And there are two things, I believe, that really are, are, are part of this shield of faith. One is to understand that God truly is in control of everything. If you doubt that, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to, you're going to start. And the other part of that is God is always good. And I will promise you, there are times when neither you nor I can fit those two things together. How can God be good and allow that to happen? And it is not always going to add up in your mind. But I will tell you this. If you lose the shield of faith, you're in big trouble. Big trouble. Say, well, how do I strengthen my faith? Because I'm really struggling on one of those two. It may be both of them. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You'll find people that struggle with their faith, they're not sticking in the word. They're not getting into the word consistently. And they're not in fellowship with God's people consistently. And you start getting away from fellowshipping and walking with God's people and walking in the Word of God privately and watch out. Your faith is going to start to weaken. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And remember something. This is not, you're not playing with, with, with a child throwing some, some, some darts at you, as, as dangerous as that could be at times. We're talking about spiritual enemies who are throwing darts of doubt and unbelief at you and trying to tear down and destroy your soul. That's what they're after. And if you already belong to Christ, they're after destroying your faith to the place where you won't be a testimony to other people. Above all, taking the shield of faith. Those fiery darts are real. And they've hit every one of us who's been saved very long. You have to walk by faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Notice, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Sometimes we forget that when we look at the armor of of God. The fact is, is that we always, always, always must be relying on Him and not ourselves. 
We have this great provision, but we need it. If we're going to take the gospel to the world, we can't. again, it is not just enough to get a bunch of well-meaning people together and march them off into the community. That's not enough. It is a spiritual battle. But the great provision doesn't just provide for us in heaven, God's Jesus' authority extending over heaven. You recall that his authority also extends over all the earth. And let me just tell you two things that are very similar. And that you can find them both in the last book of your Bible, and then I'll be back to Matthew. But if you want to go to the last book of the Bible, Revelation, and go with me to chapter 2. Let me put up two thoughts for you real quick here. Strongholds, there are places on earth that are what I would call strongholds of Satan. Have you ever gone to a place that honestly just gives you the, the creeps? You know what I'm talking about? Where you go to an area, and I've been there a few times, where I've been in an area and it's like, this just does not seem safe right now. There's something here. I know what Joe is thinking. <laughs> Joe and I were kind of in a bad neighborhood one night together. Uh, delivering a a uh, uh, U-Haul truck uh, when we got our baskets in this building. But anyway, God protected us. Uh, but uh, I'm glad Joe was with me, I'll tell you that. Revelation chapter 2. I want you to notice verse 12 and 13. By the way, we're heading to this message of Jesus. This is the last one of his messages, um, Lord willing, starting um, next week. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges, I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. Folks, um, we've had baptismal services. We just had one for a young fella um, uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, many of you weren't here because he's not really part of our church. He's uh, Audrey's uh, from CEF, Bob Longenecker's, uh, one of his coworkers, her son. He's going back to New York City, wanted to be baptized. And so we baptized him. That's not a big deal in the United States to baptize somebody. Uh, we were there to celebrate that with him. If you, any of you remember, there's a, a frontline mission film about God's work in India. And in some places, not every place, but in some places in India, you're endangering your life to get baptized. And they were showing a small group of believers, new believers, who were, wanted to follow Jesus in baptism. And they're very much afraid that someone would the wrong kind of person would see them. They were trying to find a place on the river, and it was a fast-running river. They were actually endangering themselves on that too, where they could, where they could, um, with their Christian brethren, follow the Lord in believers' baptism. It's not the same every place. There are some places where, where accepting Christ and, and, and identifying with Him can very easily cost you your life. And if you'll notice... That's what happened to this one particular individual, Antipas, who got saved where Satan's seat is. Now, there was a church there, and the gospel was going forward. It was, it was struggling. It had some spiritual issues, but Jesus is acknowledging here, hey, you're, you're, you're in a spot where there's great opposition. 
to the gospel. Let me show you another one. Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. This is talking about a time beyond ours during the tribulation period. Talking about two witnesses that God's going to raise up in the city of Jerusalem and how they're going to be a witness. But I want you to skip down. They, they, they are able to witness for uh, about three and a half years. You come down to verse 7. And when, and when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and overcome them and kill them. These guys are going to be martyrs after they've finished their ministry. Martyred, and if you think that maybe describing the Antichrist, you would be correct on that. The Antichrist himself is going to have them put to death. Verse 8, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which, is, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Spiritually, God says, this city is like Sodom, of course, known for its destruction because of its wickedness. Egypt, known for its wickedness as well. But then he identifies that where our Lord was crucified, where's that? That's Jerusalem. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. And during this day that is described, Jerusalem will be a very wicked city itself. So what I'm telling you, when Jesus says, back in our text, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, all authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. That, that's a statement we better understand. And that is, he is saying, I have given you power even over the angelic realm through my, through my commission. And so when I'm sending you forth, my angels are going to be helping you. Obviously, the Holy Spirit goes with you. But even the demonic forces, although they will oppose you, they're still under my authority. They can only do so much. All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And therefore, whether you're in a place like ours, which is much more friendly to the gospel, or you're in a place that's a very uh, a, a horrific place where it's very opposed to the gospel. Or maybe you're in a place that's very cold to the gospel. doesn't matter. Jesus is saying, my authority goes over those places. Whether they recognize it or not, I am in authority there. Reminds me, just yesterday I heard on the um, uh, short radio program of a young um, a man, I, probably be a, 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 is middle-aged, he went to Haiti a number of years ago and um, there to preach the gospel, to have a, a ministry for Christ. And evidently was having some success to the place where a number of the animists, I believe it was the animists there, uh, Haiti has a lot of voodoo and a lot of occultic type of thing, religion there. And about, I guess, five or six of them showed up to uh, confront this Christian and to tell him, basically, we don't want your religion around here, you go home. And the Christian, in response, said, no. He said, Jesus Christ reigns over Haiti. God's going to do a great work here, and you need to get saved or you need to leave. What's interesting is, is two things happened. Number one is everyone that he talked to in that group has either left the country, or been converted, or died. But secondly, 
the young, the, the middle-aged man was just killed this week. Evidently executed. Now, does that mean that God failed him? Where's he at now? He's in heaven. And God has used his ministry, evidently, because now we've learned about it across the world. Thank God for it. But I will tell you that the battle for the souls of men is real. And so Jesus is starting out with letting us know this great provision that is given to us. All authority is given unto me uh, in heaven and on earth. Now we have the Great Commission, verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's the Great Commission. Now, um, to properly interpret this Great Commission, let me tell you that, that there are uh, you, you can break down, there's the command to go, there's the command to um, and go, into, go, go ye therefore, and then what's that word teach mean? Okay, what does that mean? Make disciples, okay? When a person makes a disciple, what, what are they supposed to do? Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teaching them. But, and this is, this is just the grammar of the text, all of that is to make disciples. The, the, the making of the disciple is the command. So what is a disciple? It's a follower of Jesus Christ. Now here's what he's saying. You're going to have to go to reach them. Okay? You're going to have to, when they, when they come to Christ, you're going to have to help them to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. And then you're going to have to keep teaching them because all of that is involved in making the disciple. Making a follower of Jesus. So, let's break down the command and think about, first of all, what does it mean to go? By the way, it's a picture of Tim Tebow. Uh, those of you who remember when he was uh, in, in football, I think now he's in, in, uh, in baseball, but... One thing I do admire about him is that he's unashamed of his faith. He's willing to share, and he's unashamed of sharing the fact that he belongs to Jesus Christ, and like it or not, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna share that. So uh, what does it mean to go? Well, uh, let me give you a couple thoughts. First of all, it means to be aggressive. We have to be aggressive. We have to uh, not be sitting back and saying, well, I hope my light shines and I hope someone sees it and I hope they ask me about it. That's not the Great Commission. A lot of Christians seem to have that mentality. I'll just let my light shine and hopefully somebody will ask me about my faith. Uh, Ephesians 2.1, I have listed there, says this, and you, have, he is made alive, that word quicken means made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. The reality is, until a person comes to know Jesus Christ, they're spiritually dead. I have a 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, which says this, If our gospel is hid, it's hidden to those who are lost, whom the God of this world, which means Satan, has blinded the minds of those that believe not. 
lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Here's what he's saying. That people are spiritually blind. Another way to look at it is they're spiritually dead. They're not seeking for God. Most people are not. Matter of fact, I'll tell you this. No one seeks after God until God seeks them. They need someone to tell them, someone to help them to wake up. Many, many times we as Christians are really not concerned about those that don't know Jesus. We haven't, and, and you have to wonder if you really get the gospel if, you, if, you, if you're not concerned. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Let's say that you're driving somewhere, maybe it's late afternoon, early evening, and you come across an accident scene and it's obvious you're the first person to see it. Some people have been ejected from their cars. Others are trapped inside. Obviously, the situation is horrific. As you come upon the scene, your stomach turns with fear as, you know, you know what, what should I do as well as concern. So you ask yourself, well, what should I do? I'm, I'm, I'm obviously the first one to see this accident. Then it comes to you. I'm just going to drive by slowly with my window down as a testimony to these people that I'm a person who cares enough to slow down from my busy pace to care for them if necessary. And if someone yells out for help, then I'll stop. Folks, many times people are not yelling out for help. They don't even know they need help. They're blinded. They're content where they're at, and they're spiritually dead. So we're just going to leave them? Is that the right thing to do? Be aggressive. Be intentional. What do you mean by being intentional? How about being intentional in prayer? You know what bothers me? Just quite honestly, we don't hear a lot of Christians saying, would you pray for my loved one? Would you pray for my friend? He's lost. She's lost. I would love to get requests like that. Sometimes people call prayer meaning an organ, an, an organ, uh, what is it, an organ recital. What they mean by that is we're just reciting a bunch of people's health issues. That's all we think about. And by the way, God's concerned about health issues. Don't get me wrong. And I have no problem praying because there's always other issues behind the health issue. We know that. And so I am more than happy. We, we prayed for my father. We've prayed for your loved ones and, 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 and friends. We do that and we ought to. But folks, are we really thinking beyond that? Are we thinking about their souls? Because if, 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 I, if I understand that Jesus died for me, and I understand that I had to be saved and born again in order to be on my way to heaven, then I realize that everyone else needs that. Are you praying? Who do you have on your heart that doesn't know the Lord, that 
that you remember on a consistent basis, Lord, so-and-so doesn't know you. Don't you think if we were intentional enough to pray, you think that God would start answering prayers? Hey, didn't we all rather, many of us rallied together and prayed for my dad and God's worked great things in that situation. But we're talking about people's eternal souls. Be in prayer. Be seeking God. Be aggressive in seeking God's wisdom and power. Let me Go with me to Acts chapter 1. It's not very far away. Toward the back of your Bible from Matthew, you got Mark, Luke, John, and then you get to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. How important is it that we pray and ask God for His direction and His power? Can I just say this? I, there's so many things that reasons why I do not deserve to be in the position I'm in. God has been very gracious to allow me to pastor a church. He really has. But I will tell you, one of the things that I do before I walk up to speak and I pray that I do it every single time, and that is I ask God for His strength and His power. I do not want to do it on my own. It can't be me. It's got to be Him. Acts chapter 1, look at verse 4. Being assembled together with them, this is talking about Jesus and His disciples, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which He have said, He have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit not many days hence. Jesus is saying this, Wait, fellas, I know I've got this commission for you. I, I want you to go and tell the world about the fact that I've risen from the dead, the fact that I've, I've died for man's sins, that they can be saved. I want you to tell the world, but wait until you have the Holy Spirit's power. Folks, we've been given that now. If you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit within you. Yes, seek His help, but trust Him for it and move forward. Chapter 13 of Acts, keeping the same book. Go to chapter 13. Because I want to encourage you not only to be in prayer, be intentional in your prayer, be intentional in seeking God, but intentional in planning outreach. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 to 3 is when, I just want you to focus in on verse 2, okay? There's a number of people that have been praying in this church. They're spiritual leaders in the church. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. And the very first missionaries to tell the world are headed out. And the church will send them forward with prayer and fasting. And the, but they're intentional. They're saying, we have to go out and we have to share this good news with other people. When was the last time you set aside some time to talk to somebody? You were intentional about this. Folks, if you think that a handful of us are going to reach this community, you got the wrong thought process. If you think it's got to be the experts, it's not. Do you realize that when they, when, when analysts, I saw, I heard this a number of years ago, when, when they have analyzed um, uh, people who need psychological help, counseling of any type, do you know where most of the effective counseling takes place? It's not in the professional psychiatrist or psychologist's office. It's not. It's among friends. 
most of the advice that really makes an impact upon people is not the professional. What we need is to be a, a, a house of God where all of us realize I have a sphere of influence, I have relatives, I have friends, I have neighbors, and I need to be a light to them. You don't need to be an expert. You do need to know the Lord as Savior. Go. Be aggressive. Be intentional. In prayer, in seeking God for opportunities. And then thinking as God would lead you, and He will, to outreach. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28. He says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, help people to come to know Christ, baptizing them. So let's talk about baptism, just quickly. This is how we identify with Jesus and show that we are His by taking this first step in our new life with Christ of identifying as a child of God. Now imagine a young couple that decides to get married. After that decision has been made, the young lady makes a very unusual request to her future husband. She asks him, hey, is it okay if, um, well, uh, for the, the first few months after we're married that we don't let anybody know that we're married? I really don't want anybody to know at this point that I've married you. Now, if you were, if you were the uh, new husband at that point, are red flags going up in your mind? What's going on here? What's the problem with that kind of attitude? It obviously is selfish. What's she, what's she kind of expressing? That she's ashamed of her husband. You know what the reality is? A lot of Christians are ashamed of the one they proclaim as their Savior. Right? Baptism is the step to say, I am not ashamed that I have come to Jesus Christ. Many people say, well, well, I was baptized before my conversion. Isn't that good enough? No, because what you're doing now, after you're converted, is you're telling people, I wasn't converted before. I am converted now. And that testimony needs to be shared. And I belong to Jesus now. I've made my decision for him now. Baptism is your public statement to all who will listen that you are a child of God, that you weren't before, but you are now. Some of you, especially if you've grown up in a, in a, in a church like I did, may wonder, how does baptism tell others that I'm a Christian? Everybody already thought I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's true, but there are many others who are lost who think they're followers of Jesus Christ and need to hear that testimony. Baptism always, always, always comes after conversion in the New Testament. Third thing, go. I want you to baptize them when they become converted, then I want you to teach them. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That involves church. It involves a couple things. Now, so how, how do we know when we fulfilled the Great Commission? How do we know? Is it just this, does everybody in the world have to be converted? I think we get a really good insight. Some of you have seen this before, but many of you have not. If you want to go with me to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And I want you to look with me, please, at um, verse 17 and following. 
Romans chapter 15, starting at verse 17. Paul's coming to the end of his book. He says, I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ hath not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Skip down to verse 20. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. Paul was saying this, my life and ministry, here's my burden. Tell those who've never heard. That's not my burden. My burden is to tell people in a, in a church situation like this and hopefully send you out to tell your friends and neighbors. But Paul's, Paul's burden was to tell those who'd never heard. Remember, this is the first century. Okay, keep reading. Verse 22, for which cause I also have been much hindered from coming to you. The reason why is because he, he, Rome already had the gospel. There's already a church there. That's who he's writing to. And so he's trying to find other places that don't know the gospel. That's why he hadn't gotten to Rome yet. Verse 23. But now having no more place in these parts and having a great desire these many years to come unto you, whensoever I take my journey into Spain, that's where he wanted to go next. He said, I want to go to Spain and take the gospel there. It's not been there yet, evidently. I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward uh, by you. At first, I'd be somewhat filled with your company. I want you to, um, okay, let's see. There was a statement, and I skipped it, unfortunately. Yes, thank you. It was 19. Go back and get the one verse I skipped. Through mighty signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem on, around about unto Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, I think we know where Jerusalem's at. On your, on your map there, Jerusalem is way down here in the bottom corner. You can see that right down there in the bottom corner. Where's Illyricum? Bernie, you're, you're on the ball, man. Modern-day Croatia. Let me fill in where Paul said, I don't have anywhere else to go. And that was in the first century. Now, and where Croatia, where Paul was talking about, I'll put an arrow because I can't get it on the slide. It's way up there. We're talking without the internet, without the radio without printed materials. So how, what did Paul mean by this? Did he mean that everyone throughout all these territories was saved? No. Did he mean that every person throughout all these territories had heard the gospel? I don't think so because you have, you have people still being born, moving in. I think really what he meant by this was that he and others had established enough churches to reach those communities, those areas for Christ, that if you wanted to know in any one of those, all that, all that swath of territory, you could know. So the key has been establishing churches throughout the world by seeing people saved, by first of all going to them, seeing people converted, helping them to follow the Lord in public and believers' baptism, 
and then setting up churches where they could learn and grow in their faith. And as we do that, the gospel goes to the world and the world has a chance to hear. Now there's one other part that I want to come to. And I'm going to go past this slide just for time's sake, and that is the great promise. Back in our text, Matthew chapter 28, verse 20, Jesus closed with this, And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And the word world there can mean a couple different things. Is he talking about to the end of the planet? Or is he talking to the end of the age? It's the end of the age. That's exactly right. So Christ's personal presence... He said, I am with you. We also have, uh, it means it, go, it gives, should give us comfort. It should give us a power because we realize it's not me, it's him. And we also have Christ's eternal presence. I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. People say, well, it's much harder now. First of all, we don't know that. We don't. But secondly, even if it was, Jesus said, all authority is given unto me on heaven and on earth. I have given you, through me, the, the ability that, that to, 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 to witness in your generation, no matter how they treat you, you can be faithful to me. So let's wrap this up with some conclusions. Number one, though you can certainly go into areas of great spiritual darkness, you will never go into an area where Christ's power cannot break through. Number two, though most areas do not acknowledge the authority of Christ, you cannot go into an area where Christ's authority does not extend, whether it's believed or not. Number three, if you know Christ, you are to be purposeful about sharing Christ with others by praying. And I'd encourage you to pray for specific people. By being ready. God gives opportunities to witness that we do not expect. Can he trust you with those kind of opportunities? Can he send people your way? By believing, by believing in God's power to save souls, His ability to use you, even you. Say, well, I've only been saved for five minutes. You'd be surprised what God can do with a baby Christian. It's His power, it's not ours. By preparing, read God's Word, be faithful in church, be listening to Bible teaching. As a teenager, when I first began to really grab on to studying God's Word, you know what I found? Again, the Lord was just, I think, doing this to encourage me along the path. But I found that, that I would be studying something, and within just a few days, I'd be able to give that out to somebody. And it happened repeatedly. That, I, that God prepared me to talk to people. Remember one particular guy, uh, I was out visiting, again, intentionally going after people. We had a, a friend, uh, they had a visitation night at the church. I went out, um, as, again, I'm a teenager, and I'm with this older fella. I think he was a deacon. And we knocked on a guy's door. As he comes to the door, he's got um, Billy Graham on the television. So what do you know already? The guy's, God's working on him. So you knock on the door, and the guy was kind of flipping at first, and then, and then all of a sudden he says, you know, I got a question. Maybe you guys can answer it. He said, uh, there's a country song about I'm in hell looking up at you in heaven, something like that. He goes, is there any truth in that? 
I just read through Luke chapter 16 a few days earlier about the rich man who was in hell. I said, you know what? Luke chapter 16 talks about something like that. He goes, really? Had a chance to go in, we led him to Christ. Again, I was, you know, I was just a teenager. Why? Because, because I, I, I'm preparing. I'm, I'm studying the Word of God on my own. And God gave me an opportunity to use it. Then we need to act, not when it feels right. If you're only going to work when it feels right, how often will you work? If you only get up when it feels right, obey God's command and then rely on the Lord. Rely on His authority, on the Holy Spirit's power. Rely on Him, not yourself. Trust Him because you are to be a part of Christ's work of saving the lost. Go, therefore. Because of my authority that's given on heaven and earth, go. Teach all nations. Help them to come to know Christ. Baptizing them. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us, Father. For we're very easily swayed from this huge commandment to the church. Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for the many times I've missed opportunities, have not been walking in the Spirit. Oh, Father, I pray you'd be able to send people to me again that I could help. Help us to prepare on a daily basis, Lord, to be in your Word, to be praying for those that don't know Christ around us, asking for opportunities. Help us, Lord, we pray. Deliver us from a complacency. Forgive us for forgetting about the eternal value of every soul and of being concerned. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Let me invite you, if you don't currently attend a Bible-preaching church, to consider visiting us at Calkins. Our Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. We have classes for all ages and a nursery is provided. Our morning worship service begins at approximately 10 a.m. and our Sunday evening Bible study starts at 6.30 p.m. We would love to see you in person if God wills. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Free.